0: You're listening to Commissioning Conversations, the podcast brought to you by Broadcast Intelligence.
1: Hi there, and welcome to Commissioning Conversations. I'm Heather Fallon.
0: And I'm Alice Redmond. And this week, we broke down Netflix's Q2 results with Matt Ross from Digital Eye to uncover what's next for the streaming giant.
1: And I spoke to ITV's Head of Factual Entertainment, Sue Murphy, about her 9pm ambitions for the broadcaster. Hi Alice. Last week we focused on Channel 4, but this week we're going to be tuning our attentions to Netflix and ITV.
0: Yeah. Um, really excitingly, Netflix posted their Q2 results a couple of weeks ago, which were quite a mixed bag. So we decided to talk about it with our friends at Digital Eye and help break down what it means for the future of the SVOD and what it could potentially mean for commissioning.
1: Let's get right into it. Hi, everyone. We're joined by Matt Ross, who is the product manager at Digital Eye for Soda, which is an FOD measurement system. And he's going to tell us all about Netflix's Q2 figures today.
0: Hi Matt, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, thank you for having me.
0: We've worked with Digital Eye before. If you are a subscriber of Broadcast Intelligence, you will know that we um, worked with them on our Netflix and Amazon getting the green light Report. They have a lot of valuable information about the Fods using their FOD management system, Soda. I don't know if you want to talk a bit about what you do at Digital Eye, Matt.
2: Yes, so we have a yeah we have a, a measurement system as you said. We've been running this project for about two uh, and a half years now. It's called Soda, um, and we're measuring um, viewing levels to Netflix and Amazon Prime Video across five territories currently, which are UK and four other big European territories: France, Italy, Germany, and Spain. And we've kind of expanded the project over the last couple of years, and it's it's really growing very rapidly. And we're looking to kind of add in more services. And more territories. so we're trying to get a real kind of global view on consumption. Um, and it's a very, very good measurement system in terms of understanding content performance in particular.
0: It's super interesting. and today we are going to talk about Netflix, which is obviously the biggest and the most well known of all of the s I would argue. But obviously recently we had the announcement that Netflix's Q2 growth has stalled. And um, I think it'd be good if we all just talk about why, why we think that happened.
2: Yeah, well, I think, I mean, there's there's a couple of pretty key schools of thought regarding this. I think the first thing you always have to acknowledge is the fact that growth was pretty high during COVID and the knock-on impact of that and the acceleration that that has given their subscriber growth has to be a factor. And the fact that that was very likely to slow. So it's pretty hard to expect them to continue those types of levels of growth, especially when you're talking about the impact that the pandemics also had on the on the production sector and that pipeline as well. So. Uh, I think these are these are key factors. And also, you know, it, it, they're in a more competitive market now, in particular yeah. with, with Disney Plus and the big changes they've made exactly.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting how Disney Plus has really taken over. And what they did really interesting is, I remember, if you think back to the start of the pandemic, everyone was saying Disney Plus is launching, there's going to be an impact on production. How are they going to maintain these shows? And because they didn't have a huge amount of things finished when they launched last March. And what's really interesting is that Netf- um, that Disney Plus even then slowed their launch of shows. You know, things got pushed back. So Disney Plus are still releasing these big hitters because they slowed down their launches. Netflix continued their launches at the rate, and now we're kind of seeing a bit of a slow at the minute instead, which I think is quite interesting. And everyone at the time was thinking, oh, Disney Plus doing the right thing? They're now launching with just one new series. When- maybe in the long term it has actually served them better.
1: Yeah, because there was such a captive audience during the pandemic that you would have thought that was the perfect time to just launch like hit after hit and everyone was talking about Tiger King on Netflix, whereas now there hasn't been as many big hits in the last quarter, but they still have added, I think it was 1.5 million subs in the second quarter, so it's not like they've completely plateaued, but in terms of the growth that it did before... It's significantly flattened.
2: Yeah, I think they'll be concerned about the fact that you know, in, in United States, for example, that the numbers are actually going down, but really, really marginally. And obviously, you don't want to see numbers head in that direction. But I think that um, overall, there's there's still a lot of less developed markets for them in terms of in terms of subscriber growth. Of that that's where they're getting that that increase from of that 1.5 million that you mentioned. And I think that I think ultimately. There's a couple of things that we've we've really noticed with with the data that we've examined for not just for Q2 but for looking back over the past six months, and it's a really interesting couple of kind of analysis that we've done on the data, understanding kind of how many big hitters they've had, and again, it all really kind of depends on on what you define as as a big hitter on a platform like Netflix. But if we were to say, for example, that a big hitter was hitting 20% of subscribers within the first 28 days, for example, you know, then there's actually been more instances of those in the previous in the last six months, um the first six months of 2021 than there were in the, the same periods in 2020, but also in 2019. But then if you take the the whole period uh and look at the top 30 titles over that period, there's only a handful of those that have actually come through in the in the last few months. Uh two of which, for example, are are parts one and two of Lupin. If you're looking across kind of UK and those key European territories, and then others, examples would be things like Love and Monsters. Army of the Dead which are those movies that got put onto Netflix when perhaps they would have ended up in a more theatrical release because of the fact that cinemas were closed etc so really there's only a handful that hitting those really top levels but there are a good amount of those that are kind of doing okay enough to kind of sit in that in that kind of 20% in the first 28 day level.
1: Mm. I think something really interesting that they mentioned in that Q2 letter in terms of their results was that Netflix said that they themselves were their biggest competitor and that improving the service as fast as they can is their main priority in order to stay being that big disruptor that they were when they came on the scene so how do you think or what do you think Netflix should be looking at doing next obviously there's the gaming aspect but what else maybe should they be thinking about yeah the
2: gaming one's an interesting one I don't think Many people are sure how that's going to play out um, (laughs) at this point, really. And I think that, you know, it could be a strategy that looks at retention of of younger, younger subscribers. And I think that they are going to be looking. I think it takes it back to that big hitter. They're going to be looking for some some big shows, I think, over the next um, next few months to hopefully land. They've got I think they've got Series 3 of Sex Education coming in in September um, which always does well. I know in, in the UK they're adding Downton Abbey, I believe, um, which is really? gonna boost some live reviewing. I think they've got all the series and then the movie's gonna follow a bit later. So again, that might that might help with subscriber growth of of kind of the demographics that they're perhaps less um successful with. So that's in the UK, I believe. So uh, yeah, I think that they'll be they, you know, they'll be really looking to get big strike in. But, you know, they haven't had anything hugely significant. In terms of right up there as it's been since bridgerton which was the back end of last year the crown is always hugely successful in terms of driving people into mm-hmm. the platform as well and i think that you know they're really going to be looking for for a kind of a show that's going to do that for them as well if you look at the types of shows that that someone like um, disney plus have been kind of talking about that's coming out the obi-wan kenobi series that's going to drive a lot of interest amazon keep updating their Lord of the Rings based series. And I think that's not due again until next year now. But these are the types of series that are kind of getting a lot of people talking. So they're going to drive a lot of a lot of subscribers into the platform. So it's whether or not Netflix have have got similar things lined up as well.
0: Mm. I think it's quite interesting with Netflix how they don't have like a studio per se. And so you know we've seen things like Disney has all of these Marvel releases at its fingertips. You know, we saw Black Widow didn't go to just to cinema, it also went on the streamer and that's obviously going to drive subscribers. Netflix kind of doesn't have this studio that it can suddenly say, no, actually we're going to put this on Netflix because all of its films it's making are actually for Netflix and like encompassed in that kind of budget and financial model. And so they can't suddenly rely on that for a little windfall because they would have accounted for it anyway. And I think it's really interesting just that as a thing for Netflix in general when competing with the other HBO Max with Peacock, Paramount+, Plus, you know, that have these big, big catalogues behind them as well. Netflix are going to lose Friends and The Big Bang Theory and all of these other shows that people put on as kind of background noise. And they are like, you know, you're ye old faithful on Netflix, you know, when you're like, hmm, what do I want to watch? And you can yeah. watch Friends on Demand and just put it on in the background while you do cleaning or whatever. Yeah, I think yeah, they're going to all return to their home streamers and I think that's definitely something that's going to be really interesting to see how Netflix deals with that.
2: Absolutely. I think that that's something that that will probably be quite concerning is the mm. fact that they that they may lose some of those shows and these shows are really really strong in terms of audience engagement, getting people to watch every single week or day, high amounts of content binge viewing. We know all these types of words that are that are associated with these with these types of content that have vast number of episodes, very, very good in terms of repeatability as well. So, you know, they will be concerned that that they're going to lose those types of shows and perhaps in the market for for alternatives that can then replace those and, and still bring people in on a regular basis. And, you know, Disney did, it was a really good move to bring in that, that stars element as well into Disney Plus, but they've got a lot more of those types of shows because that's driving subscription retention for them. So I think that Netflix will be, keeping their eye on on that type of content as well as the big hitters that we've already mentioned
0: it's quite interesting with kind of like that type of content they don't have it yet and they haven't made any moves to commission it or to buy it particularly yet so it'd be interesting to see if they do replace with a like for like you know a long-running sitcom replace friends with a long-running sitcom or if they try and go something completely different i mean we're speaking today and yesterday they renewed about four um, reality series, and I think they're really doubling down on reality at the moment, which hasn't, from the last time I looked at you guys' data, hasn't paid dividends in like viewing figures yet. But it's doing a lot in um, just splashiness, and you know everyone's talking about too hot to handle, and everyone's talking about Love Is Blind, Selling Sunset, my personal favourite.
2: <laughs> do you think there's a, you know, do you think there's a, a market for it in the sense that we don't really see too many long running comedies? most of the content these days series tend to be around 10 15 episodes long that we see especially of the more recent commissions do you think that there's the scope for that or do you think they'd go more low budget and go into the into the non-scripted space to try and get the volume up
0: i think they i think at the moment they're definitely trying to capitalize on the non-scripted space i think it can be made cheaper it's easier if something doesn't work they can run something else and also they have a novelty at the moment because i think at the moment reality on linear is appointment to view you know love island is completely not in your control when it's on and if you miss a night you're behind and you have to catch up the next day because you've got another night whereas netflix kind of are capitalizing i think on the thing of love is blind was for example take that release schedule that was released in chunks so you had maybe four weeks to watch the first I think it was the first bit until they moved into their apartments. I can't remember how many episodes. But you had like a good couple of weeks to watch that bit before the next bit. And I think, you know, for certain people, that's that's a more appealing reality prospect. I binge watched Love is Blind. I was obsessed. I literally, <laughs> as soon as the, um after the Alter thing came out, I was like, I can't wait to watch this. But I can't get behind Love Island because I... Can't do an every night watch of something. I find it really hard. I can't watch the same thing. I'd rather binge watch things, but you can't binge watch catch up on Love Island because a lot of Love Island is about being on Twitter at the same time and your socials and talking about what's going on. So I do think actually, you know, whereas if Netflix do lose Friends or How I Met Your Mother or you know those really those globally treasured comedies that people on as background noise, I do think they they might have more success in the reality replacing that with high volume reality shows instead is just my kind of gut feeling on this i mean they haven't made very many moves in comedy for long running comedy series but we we don't know what they're a mysterious bunch um, <laughs> we're not sure what they're thinking they could be having a strategy meeting right now being like we need friends again friends the netflix version
2: yeah yeah i mean the gaming the gaming Thing came out of left field a bit and so you don't you yeah. don't really know what to expect but you can definitely see a trend in in non-scripted increasing and i guess it's something that's not been done as much on on competitor platforms as well so there's there's a kind of not a usp but there's something that's sort like of unique about a large svod service that have got a bit more of a focus on on non-scripted content and it's getting yeah. that volume up as well i think that that's um that's really vital in terms of getting people engaged spending time on the platform. Because yeah. you know, you think about it, you get people into the platform, then they're going to see all the promotion around the around the big hitters that we've talked about. The new and, and that's just going to kind of have a snowball effect. So that's a huge part of their kind of one-two strategy, getting people in, but then also getting them to spend as much time as possible.
1: There's definitely a balance to try and strike, isn't there, between maintaining subscribers by having those kind of long running series. I had a look at my like Netflix catalogue before I logged in. And it is purely New Girl, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, like the US office, comedies that I'll have playing while I'm doing things like you said, like with the cleaning and whatever it is that you just want to have on in the background That's like a comfort watch that people probably keep the platform for. And then also finding those big hitters that bring in new people and make more noise. And then how do you find that balance? And non-scripted is probably a better avenue it's probably less time consuming in terms of creating big story machines that go on and on as well a drama like queen's gambit is going to take a very long time to create exactly
2: and i think that they you know in part of what they'll be doing in-house as well when they analyze the data that comes back to them be understanding how much they've, they've spent on this content as well as how much viewing it's brought in but you're you're complete i don't think you're alone in any stretch in terms of having a a viewing catalogue that's just made up of a lot of this kind of American comedy content. Um, I actually, we ran some data actually um, on this where we were looking at five particular comedies, which was How I Met Your Mother, uh, Modern Family. You also had Friends, Big Bang Theory and Brooklyn Nine-Nine on there as well. And across across the five territories, there were around 5 million subscribers for whom that content alone was 25% or more of their viewing across the first six months of the year. So if you think about, (laughs) you know, and, you know, and I think everyone knows somebody or themselves that that would probably apply to. Um, And if you think about those numbers, it's 5 million subscribers. That's 50 million a month in terms of revenue, 300 million over the six months. So it's these are huge amounts of, you know, that's just across five territories as well. And that's a huge amount of people that are using it. Mm. really predominantly for this type of stuff if they want to do things like price increases you know whenever someone for i don't know for me whenever somebody comes to me and says i'm going to charge you one two pounds more for something i'll go okay do i actually need this do i actually use it you know
0: yeah and i think this isn't at all backed up research but I just from my own memories the appeal of netflix originally like pre them making original content i remember being in uni and it being somewhere where you could get all the American shows and all this other kind of American content. I think that was its original, for me anyway, definitely from memory, was its original USP was like, oh, you can get all of these stuff on demand. Like, I don't really remember any Netflix originals when I first signed up at all. I think I watched it. I think the I House signed up. That was the first one, but as in, like, I don't remember. That wasn't a reason for me at all back in, would have been like 2014 or something. You know, I think it was for the acquired content. And it's funny how much that's changed in what? So that's six, no, nope, seven years.
2: <laughs> yeah. Which is quite quick. Yeah, it was kind of a, almost a kind of blockbuster replacement, wasn't it ultimately? And yeah, it is really, it's really incredible how quickly it's changed. Uh, House of Cards, again, for me was the first one I thought, you know, you think oh, that's an interesting development. I was not expecting them to commission their own content, but it, it, it then it started to work so well for them. And I think that the trend that so we've seen in the data suggests that acquired content is is starting to creep back in and have more importance. But that that could be a coronavirus related element because of the fact that almost the hand has been forced in terms of the fact that you can't make as much content original content then so you have to kind of dip into the catalogue a little bit more. Or it could be that they're they're looking at retention in some of the major markets rather than growth as much.
0: And all so that yeah. comfort re-watching I just saw that all yeah. of Gogglebox is on there, and I was like, who's watching that? And then I thought, actually, you know what, that is. You would go back to the start sometimes if you were just feeling a little bit like nostalgic and you wanted to see what the world was like five years ago and what people were watching. Then you actually, that is a reason to go back to the start of, net um not Netflix, just start of Gogglebox. Back to the start of Netflix where we just watch <laughs> House of Cards over and over again. I think I got it to watch Catfish, the documentary, because <laughs> I was obsessed with the really? TV show and I really wanted yeah. to watch the original documentary. Did not disappoint.
2: No, I can't remember. I wouldn't be able to tell you what the thing I wanted to watch was for the first time. It might have been Breaking Bad.
0: Oh um, yeah, that was one. That bad. was a really big one.
2: Yeah, um, but I'm not 100% sure if I remember whether it was or not. But I think that's a that's a that's a really interesting point because one of the things about our data that we have explored and we want to continue to explore more is the fact that when we cl- when we collect data, we actually collect historical data. Um, so we're able to see first few things a uh, Netflix subscriber will view when they first subscribe to the platform. And I think that becomes really interesting because when you're talking about subscriptions and acquisition of subscriptions, it's those first things that we've watched. So you've already talked about Catfish, I've talked about Breaking Bad, these types of things that bring people into the platform. And that's going to be one of the big KPIs that, that an s platform like Netflix are going to look for because it's that's ultimately where their money comes from. Mm.
0: So yeah, I believe as well, Matt, you have a new report out which touches on some of the things that we spoke about today.
2: We do, yeah. We create a kind of series of, of reports that are available on on the website that we that we use the data that we collect to, to kind of give a bit of an example of the types of really interesting insights that can be got from the data. So the most recent one is on is on the ownership of content, in particular, looking at the top performing titles on, on Netflix. So understanding actually who has ownership of those. Um, and it's really interesting to see kind of the types of companies that actually have ownership of a lot of the the big shows on Netflix you're talking about your, your Disney's your Warners NBC's Sony's and it's and you know and we've already touched on the fact that there's a real risk that when these when these companies launch their own streamers we know that some of them already have some of them will be uh, continuing to do so that they will then pull that content and, and the risks that come with that so we really explore that in quite a bit of detail in the report so if you do want to read that then Pop onto the Digital Eye website, and um, you can request a, a version of the report through. Um, it's right on the on the homepage.
0: Nice, and it's super interesting. Yes. <laughs> well, it is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today, Matt. You and. Your colleagues, Sophia are going to be back again in a couple of weeks. So listen out for your for the Digital Eye regular spot on the Commissioning Conversations podcast.
2: Yeah, we're looking forward to coming back and uh, having lots of interesting conversations.
0: More sford conversations and more viewing conversations. That'll be super interesting.
1: So as we not so subtly alluded to there, Digital Eye will be joining us regularly to break down SFODs, viewing figures and more. So look out for that.
0: And that's not all we've got this week. Heather spoke to ITV's head of factual entertainment, Sue Murphy, all about her commissioning wants and that all-important
3: 9pm ITV slot. What they need to think about, there's one thing. It's a brilliant thing, it's a really hard thing. It's nine <laughs> o'clock. That's all they need to think about. Right, mm. so there's not gonna, they're not going to get much traction Pitching pre-watershed shows. We're, we're still commissioning some, but but less. And I would say ninety-nine percent of our focus and funding is going into nine o'clock, and that's what people need to concentrate on. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing that hopefully we can talk about a little bit is um, ITB2 factual because that is yeah. a door that's opened, and it's uh, genuinely. A fantastic opportunity for new opportunity for producers and also for us because you know it can, means that we can all together with the producers broaden the palette of what we are commissioned and producing and broadening the range of talent um so they're the two big things people need to think about and i think for the for the nine o'clock you know we do want big shows big mm-hmm. ideas with you know, big name talent or big personalities. And primarily, I would like people to think about things that we can strip across the week for a couple of reasons. One, we want them. Uh, we love, you know, it's a, I guess it's our sort of one of the versions of a trust your binge is that you, can, if we can find stuff that we can strip from Monday to Friday, that's a week's binge. And it kind of has worked for us in kind of whether it's five times... 60 or three times 90 or whatever and i think the big one that we've commissioned for next year is the real games which you know we commissioned it was slightly put on hold because of the um pandemic so Mm -hmm. we're, we're kind of plowing ahead and wouldn't do that and um to me it's sort of like it's a bit iconic of the sort of shows that we're after because it needs to be something that's got the scale to work across the week it's got really strong hooks at the end of each night where you're going to come back and a big climax and more shows like that more shows like love island i mean i would love to find a show with the va va voom of love island for main channel yeah. i mean it's just i'm like, sure a lot
1: what... of people would agree with you there
3: <laughs> um, i watched it on uh i mean i'm not really the audience but i watch it on friday and sunday and i'm just like it's just i know
1: it's going off isn't it it's going off oh my
3: god but you know what it's just like i love the entertainment value i love the energy Mm. of it i love obviously we all do everyone at itv does and i think when i say this to people i I then get a slew of dating ideas and that isn't what i mean at all i mean the energy of it
1: rather than the the content
3: and uh that means that you just have to watch it, you know, and actually the twists and the turns and the live unfolding narratives. So, you know, just, just something that's got right like spirit for main channel, I think, would be really good. Um, I think that I think the other really good thing for people thinking about right, what could work as a three-part or four-part or five-part a strip for ITV at nine o'clock is that even if we don't commission it as a strip, even if it becomes a big nine o'clock series, which we will also want, um, I think thinking about what would make a strip you know who is the talent or the personalities involved what is going to keep you coming back and coming back what are the twists and turns i think they're all things that are good for any show on itv at nine o'clock so i think that's the primary thing i would ask people to think about big competition formats other things that they think could strip at nine o'clock I mm. think it's really important I think sort of big nine o'clock series so one of our big shows is Gordon Gino and Fred I don't know if you watch it but you know it's done really well for us it's coming back in the autumn they're in Greece it's hilarious um and yeah, I've um, seen clips
1: I won't lie, I haven't seen the whole thing it? but it wow. does look. It looks lovely. I like. I know that it's one of those things that I'll really enjoy. Wow. I just haven't got it's around so to funny. it.
3: <laughs> You've got to get into it. Do you know what's brilliant is that? You know, I so say there's a real-world starting point. It is a food and drink uh, series, uh, and I think it's a very itv one way of doing that that subject. And but really, it's become. You know, it's sort of a challenge show on on the on the road because they keep mm. they keep kind of coming up with you know behind the others' back they come up with something for them to do it, you know it kind of turns into something a bit challenging but fundamentally it's about friendship and relationships and um, you know it's kind of like it's, it's at times I mean I realise not all of them are everyone's cup of tea but at times it's really funny. Um, at times it's actually very poignant and emotional you learn in a lot anyway um you know because it's travel it's food it's drink they're all experts in their own field and actually the three of them together are just you know for me it's just gold dust I love it so um and, yeah, it's and a think, great combo oh um, my such a <laughs> great combo and it's a really good thing for producers to think about for us because mm. I think sort of talent is very difficult and people go oh my tv's got to be such a big talent but you know what a clever little um uh, ensemble talent combination that can work just as well for us you know so we've got a little time a little pre-watcher show actually on at the moment called craig and bruno but you know what they're so sweet together you know it's it's great fun it's a bit silly at times but gordon Gina, Fred are a great combination and you know we would have got pitched before then a million ideas for gino Lots of ideas for Gordon, some ideas mm. for Fred, although Fred until then was always associated very much Channel with Chuck yeah. and Bob, brilliant first days, and maybe the BBC too. But putting the three of them together, that was the magic bullet. And that was the yeah. one that made us go, that's going to work on ITV. And people should think about that because there's that which makes it look, they're all amazing talents, all three of them, but can make talent bigger than the sum of their parts if they're a little bit niche for us but equally because we you know the drive for more diversity and uh, disability it is very real and I do think Mm. ensemble is often a really good way to because it might not be someone who's got big name recognition for example in in the first instance and that's quite important for ITV1 you know so I think it's a good way of introducing new talent to the channel
1: while keeping Um, it broad
3: Whilst, whilst keeping it really broad. Mm. And also you can just bring a new energy and a new flavour to a classic subject. You know, that's the thing. Um, so I think I think kind of big nine o'clock series are really important. I mean, you know, the one I'm jealous of is Gog Box, Who Isn't? It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing, it's fantastic. It could totally work on ITV one. Uh, you know, it's a very mainstream subject matter, isn't it? A TV review show. So I, I think it's all about nine o'clock. I think in new ways, always after new ways to invent travel. We we like our travel, don't we? And But we, we see it as, I think sometimes people think we've become a bit of a cliche, but I think we see it as our studio out there in the real world. We can pour anything into it, any subject matter, and it can work for us. And um, so I think new ways of turning the dial on travel, always, always interesting, um, especially with the right talent. I think we love a bit of funny factual. I think that when people are pitching stuff to us, if they can make us laugh with the title or the strap line or paragraph or you know mock up a little post or something Mm -hmm. I think they can make us laugh they're pushing an open door and much more importantly than that is if they can make Kevin laugh (laughs) they're almost likely to get they're likely to get a commission let's put it like that Mm. so I think we like humor we like warmth I think again you can apply that to lots and lots of subjects I think crime is still very important to IT1 and we've we've commissioned a fair bit, but we are always interested in IT1 crime. I think mm. this time we always look for iconic stories on IT1, but I think we we've commissioned a few formats which are, I guess in a way, sort of they're not so much story machines, but they are formats which house compelling stories. Mm. And I would say the one area where we don't get so much although we're beginning to uh, have a few green shoots in it is people coming to us with stories that are so compelling that you could tell them across three or four or more episodes but I think crime's still really important and we still have a huge appetite for it we don't get enough we do get but we don't get enough really ambitious ideas I think we get a lot of small ideas and I I know it's I know it's terrifying but but (laughs) I think I think people need to be more ambitious both in what the idea is and their vision for the idea because that's the way the world's going, isn't it? And um, for nine o'clock, you need a bit of that. And I think that whether it's in crime or travel or whatever, I think that would be my biggest deal to people is just think big and be ambitious. And when you come to us, if it's a big idea, come with a vision about how you want to make it. So, ambition really is the way to go for ITV.
1: Absolutely. Sue also broke down her new strategy for ITV2, as well as telling us all about the upcoming Crime Slate that's coming out in autumn. So, for more information on that, I'm afraid you're going to have to go and visit her profile at broadcastintel.com.
0: And as always, if you'd like to come and join us on the podcast or have any questions, drop us a line at info at broadcastintel.com, Or you can email us directly at firstname.lastname at broadcastnow.co.uk. And if you do want to look at Sue Murphy's profile and become a member, you can contact us through those emails too. And we'll be back in two weeks. But for now, have a great day. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another podcast, but in the meantime, be sure to check us out and all the latest commissioning briefs and programme green lines at broadcastintel.com.